Hey, Carl and Richard here. As you may have heard, NDC is back offering their incredible in-person conferences around the world, and we'd like to tell you about them. NDC Security Oslo is January 17th through the 20th. Go to ndc-security.com to register. NDC London will be January 23rd through the 27th. Go to ndc-london.com to register. NDC Copenhagen is March 14th through the 17th. Go to ndccopenhagen.com to register. NDC Porto is happening April 24th through the 28th. Early bird discount for NDC Porto ends February 1st. Go to NDC Porto to register. NDC Minnesota is happening September 27th through the 30th. Go to ndcminnesota.com to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, by now, we will have done a whole bunch of, well, two shows, in theory. One in Oslo. Two conferences, in person, in theory. In theory, right? We don't know yet, because we were recording this before we left. Right. So, I hope we had a good time. I hope you had a good time. I'm sure we had a great time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's still certainly a challenging time to travel. It certainly is. And I don't know if you're paying attention to the news around British Columbia, but we had a major flooding incident that uh, the time we're recording this, we're still recovering from. Yeah, I know the last time we were recording, you were uh, in a, it was with Kendra, right? You were, you had a yeah. wind and rain and everything. It, was, it, it turned into over a foot of rain in a weekend. Now, a foot yeah. is a lot of rain. It's a lot of water over a large area, and all that water had to go somewhere, and it, you know, went into the Prairie Basin in the, in the eastern part of the Lower Mainland. Yikes! So uh, we lost a lot of, uh, flooded a lot of farms and a lot of homes, and uh, killed a lot of livestock. Oh, that sucks. I, we we had some human fatalities as well, folks. That it's just a terrible situation. There was a mudslide. Folks stopped on the highway to look at the mudslide, like, should we go back? And while they're standing there. Another mudslide came through. Oh man! Killed five people. Wow. How's your How's your beach house? Uh, we took a beating, like just a lot, just an astonishing amount of water. So yeah, we have a pond system that takes water off the off the property and pumps it through a pond, then down to the beach if there's an overflow. Yeah, which can handle in excess of fifty gallons a minute. The water was coming down so hard it overflowed the pond wow. for about eight hours. Wow. So 150, 200 gallons a minute of water. What did the it's otters just, do? We haven't seen any of them in in over a week. Heartbreaking. I don't know what's happened. I mean, I'm not crying for the people who bought it on the highway, but I'm crying for the otters. What's wrong with me? And I, yeah, well, I don't know that they bought it other than that just the world is torn apart. Yeah. There was just so much water. So we, we haven't seen them at all. I hope they're fine, but we'll find out. Now, the, the story on the highway is just... I mean, just a terror. Like, can you, you can't even imagine. Well, in happier news, I got a good Better Know framework. So let's roll the music. Let's do the thing. All right, man. What do you got? All right. Well, I'm going to call out one of my own. Oh. The .NET Show, episode 13. Mm-hmm. And this is on classes, records, instructs. Oh, my. <laughs> and after I saw, you know, C Sharp 9 and the improvements they did, you know, to support immutability and um, 
the the init initializer, the key, mm-hmm. the with keyword. Uh, you know, and then what they did in um, C sharp ten, um, making you can make records value types by putting struct after the record. Uh, I just you know I needed to go back and just get familiar with fundamentals, like what's mm-hmm. a value type, what's a reference type, what's the stack, what's the heap. It's a good refresher, dude, because all of this stuff is shifting as we're. You know, this is a conversation we have with Mads as well about what does modern C-sharp look like right. right now? There's a bunch of stuff that's literally 20 years old, and some of it you shouldn't be using anymore. That's right. And on top of that, there's a lot of new C-sharp developers, and uh, they may be newer developers in general, like Thomas Smith, who has uh, only had been a developer for three or four years, you know? Mm-hmm. Have they ever gone down the rabbit hole of stack versus heap, and what does that mean, and what's a value, and what's a reference, and... Um, but also, how is that relevant today in the modern C sharp? Because exactly, I mean, the garbage collector we had in two thousand three is not the garbage collector we have in twenty twenty. No, that's right? true. Like, things are different. Yeah, and also you can just go ahead and code your way around life without even thinking about these things, values and references and structs and whatever. And now mm-hmm. that we have records and record structs, what does that mean? You know, so yeah. now how do we? How do we determine uh, a, what to use? That's really valuable stuff, dude. That's great thinking. Yeah. So anyway, it might awesome. might turn into a, a, a dev intersection talk in April. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that. We're going back to Vegas. Vegas back to back. Oh, wait a minute. I thought it was in Orlando. No. Where Orlando is going to be the fall of 2022. Oh. We haven't officially announced it, but maybe we have now. We'll have annou- we'll announce it at the December show, <laughs> okay. which is we haven't gone to yet. But by the time this thing comes out, it will be announced. That, yeah. We're in Vegas uh, in uh, the beginning of, of April. All right. Well, uh, the .NET show is at the.netshow.com. Look for episode 13. Or since this is episode 1770, you can go to 1770.pwomp.me, and that'll take you there. Who is talking to us today, Richard Campbell? Gravity Comet Office Show 1723, the one we did with Dom Kirkhoff talking about containers on Azure back in January 2021, a good year ago or so. Yeah. Uh, Goncalo Chavez, I think that's Portuguese, so I'm sorry I mashed your pronunciation, sir. Uh, it's always a marvelous thing to hear Tom's insights regarding containerization, and it's clear for me that, that that's the challenge of the next few years with services and microservices. Until the day that we can put a self-hosted Azure instance service inside of a container and own a private cloud on it. Mm. Which I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Mm. But, I mean, I think uh, what... Uh, Gonzalez is saying here really is cloud as architecture, right? Not cloud as a product, but the architectural elements of cloud structures would make a lot of sense. So, and he goes on to say, thanks guys. Great show. Well, thank you. Um, We're having a lot of fun doing it. And uh, we're having more conversations about microservices today in the cloud and otherwise. And a copy of Music to Code by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin and he's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet and it's okay because they're value types. You don't have to worry <laughs> about garbage collection. Everything's fine. That's right. We're all fine. Actually, in .NET, a string, which a tweet is, mm. is actually a reference type. So you're not fine. We're not fine. Well, it's an immutable reference type. Oh, you, so we are fine. You are having too much fun with this metaphor. <laughs> Anytime we change the value, it creates a new string under the hood. Am I right, Paul? <laughs> Paul nods his head. 
Yes, you're right. Uh, yes, I was muted, but yes. Not in his head on a audio podcast. Everything's fine. <laughs> we're all fine. That's right. I will adapt <laughs> by halfway through. It'll be great. When we're doing show, live shows and we say, how many people use Azure? And people raise their hand. Okay, okay what's wrong with raising your hand on an audio show? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... Here's Paul's ad hoc bio here. As group product manager for Azure App Frameworks, microservices, and diagnostics, Paul's team is responsible for defining and building application models and frameworks for cloud developers. This includes an open source application framework for distributed apps and cloud native applications called Dapper. That's D-A-P-R, see D-A-P-R dot I-O, not Dapper, D-A-P-P-E-R which is uh, a light SQL ORM. Uh, Paul also looks out for new observability experiences to make teams successful running and diagnosing their apps. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Richard. It's great to be back. Only the second time on. He's still kind of a newbie. Yeah, right? but we've done most yeah. of our hanging out with Paul at conferences and things. I agree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got we get lots of Paul time, just not enough time on the show. I'll just right. keep doing more cool always, stuff so I can keep coming back. If the cool stuff Absolutely. helps. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Dapper, as I was trying to disambiguate, is not the DAPR is not the DAPPER, uh, light ORM for SQL. That's right. That, that That's already reserved in the dictionary, so we had to use a different one. Right. Yeah. So let's. Uh, the floor is yours. Sure. What is it? Yeah. So Dapper. Um, not everyone knows this. It's it stands for Distributed Application Runtime. So not only were we trying to be cute, um, it stands for something. And so the way I think about Dapper, it's a set of APIs for developers who are creating microservices. And the top things that we want to do with this would be Make sure that all the code you write is very portable, and we can talk about that at length. Um, and also really reliable. You know, thinking about when you have microservices talking to each other, you've got to keep things really resilient. So that involves retries and backoffs and circuit breakers and the right way to do state management. So there's all of those kinds of things that are you know problems that we solve with Dapper. So it kind of sounds a little bit like SignalR, but maybe with some stuff on top that uh, abstracts away the the raw messaging aspect. There are definitely similarities. Yes, I think um, so. There there are different APIs that we have. One is for PubSub, and there's yep. all kinds of bindings that you could have uh, to your favorite brokers, right? So it could be okay. SignalR. It could also be let's say Kafka or Event Hubs or Service Bus, depending on what Great. flavor, you know, even Redis. And, and that goes to the portability part. It's about having more of a standardized API to work with right. PubSub and, and other services. And so Dapper doesn't try to do all the heavy lifting. It doesn't try to be a PubSub broker. It doesn't try to be a state store. Yeah, it abstracts. Yeah, it abstracts it. Yeah. So you can think of it more like a standard. Right. I like it. And so, uh, yeah, I see from Dapper.io, there's a whole bunch of companies using it, and there's a bunch of APIs, and just trying to figure out what's going on here from the graphic, the infographic. So the APIs are service invocation, publish and subscribe, PubSub, as you said before, secret management, IO bindings, state management, and virtual actors. 
All right, we have to go down this list because I, I sure. want to jump to the end already, and I can't. So. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. Let's start with service invocation. Yeah, I think that's a great one. So that's all about microservice communication. So you have services calling other services. And really think right. about your own services, your own applications. So um, you want to do those service-to-service calls reliably. Yeah. And also, there's things like service discovery that become important because you're going to have lots of instances, let's say, um, or containers that are running your services. And yeah. so that service discovery is really important. Um, another thing that you know we see users try really hard to do is secure that communication between the services. So we mm-hmm. also add MTLS um, encryption. And you can even have your favorite middlewares running in between things like Spiffy, things like observability with open telemetry. So, um, so that service invocation is that first, you know, microservice communication scenario we want to nail. And when you use our APIs, you automatically get all those, res- you know, resiliency and security features. The thing that I'll start calling out here to the, the reason a lot of this works is thanks to a sidecar that we have. So when you look on the infographics, you see that little dapper shield or hexagon or however you want to think about it. What that's right. saying is your microservice always has another process. So it's not even a container, it's just a process that is a little server. And that server has your RESTful APIs, like slash invoke, slash publish, slash secrets, um, all those APIs. And so you're calling into a sidecar process that lives on localhost, let's say localhost colon 3500. And when you make calls to that sidecar our sidecar can work on your behalf and do all the heavy lifting for things like the encryption, the middlewares, the service discovery, all of that. So that's really the technical secret that makes this all work. So I'm not compiling Dapper into my app. That's right. You you don't need to compile it in at all. Um, and that makes it really, let's say, incrementally adoptable. You can yeah. just use the REST mm-hmm. APIs. Now you have a choice. Like th- we have SDKs. So there's a .NET SDK, you know, a lot of the languages you'd expect, JavaScript, Go, um, Python, there's there's a number more. And mm-hmm. so you can use the SDK for convenience. And that is handy because it helps you with things like auth and, and just lots of conveniences. But you don't need to. Right. Um, mm-hmm. One other right. thing I'll call out for .NET, and I have a demo, that uh, which is not great for a podcast, but there's a demo everyone should check out on aka.ms slash dapper Twitter. Um, which shows that you can use just your favorite HTTP client. So let's say I'm in .NET. I would use HTTP client factory to get me an HTTP client. And all I have to do is just add a header. And that's called you know dapper-app-id. And I set that header to the name of my service I'm going to call. So in the case of Twitter, I would call my processor microservice. That's all I had to do to call Dapper. I just add that header. And so, yeah, so I can use my existing code and add Dapper, or I can use the SDK, and that's good for, let's say, net new code. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, and and I just like the fact that it's not a compiling, which means I'm not worrying about when you guys ship a new version, I have to recompile my app to fix a security feature or anything like that, that that could be done separately. Really good point. And I think that's also one of the beauties of the sidecar architecture is we can, you know, we can keep that separate. It's a RESTful API that you're calling. All the security fixes, all that is is encapsulated. So you just update right. Dapper and you get your up, updated security features. I mean, not that I'm being cynical or anything, but... Hey, you it, know, things happen all the time. 
Um, things happen, yeah. Things happen. And you want to be able to respond quickly, preferably automatically, without breaking things, no fire, no smoke. It also says that uh, here that all the service-to-service -service communication is encrypted using MTLS, while Dapper takes care of certificate management. Yes. And uh, that's that's really interesting. So that means like I don't have to have specific certificates just for each microservice. Is that the story? That's right. That's the story. So um, Dapper will take care of that for you. And you know, one of the things that we allude to there too, even when you're using certificates, MTLS, you're using a secure channel. One of the things that bites us as app developers a lot is when a rotation is needed. Yeah. So let's say something expires, you need a rotation, and then all of a sudden you get an outage. Um, so, yeah. so Dapper well, will take care of that. You, let, you don't realize it's expiring. You let it expire and then it's broken. Yes. Then you update it wrong because you, I mean, I literally started keeping notes that said, read these, you idiot. Yeah. Because the number of times I've screwed up updating a certificate, I can't even tell you. Uh, and you're Why not can't alone. We just we... have automatic updating certificates. Why is this so hard? Yeah, Seriously. I think the expiry time, my theory is the expiry time is one of the biggest problems because if it's not yeah. very soon, it might as well be you're infinity because, yeah, you're going to forget. It doesn't matter. You're going to screw it up. Yeah. And even once a year was not enough. Well, and this is where we get into the whole let's encrypt every 90 days because then you will automate it. Yes. Right. And, and once I switched to let's encrypt certs and automated them, I really stopped worrying about it because stuff just worked. Not that it works everywhere, but for certain cases, but it's like, you, you know, they, as angry as we were with this whole process, this actually got us to do the right thing. Ultimately, Azure managed certs as well. That's what yes. I use now. They're just so yeah. easy and they automatically update and I don't have to worry about it. It's exactly what you want from a certificate. Exactly. Go away and never away. bother me. Again. Yeah, <laughs> That's be, right. Be there, but, but go away. Whatever that means. But yeah, but make sure I'm compliant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Show up every day and do your job and never speak to me. <laughs> Please be thankless <laughs> and never bug me. Yes. Um, have you tr have you checked out the managed identity? Speaking of which, which builds on top. Yeah. No. That would be another whole fantastic talk, in my opinion. But uh, Azure managed identity. That's a, yeah. Managed that's identity. A show. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea there is you're more passwordless or certificateless, where, um your applications can basically have a context and a a principle applied, which is auto-rotated. It's auto-managed um, for you. And then you basically can just say, use default identity. And in .NET, there's a really nice SDK story for that. So if you're using any of the new SDKs, you just say, use default identity. And there's a I trust you that you establish between two services. Seriously. I, I appreciate that you're reducing the friction for us to do the right thing. Yep. Because setting up ser server identities for instances of apps and things sucks. <laughs> it just sucks. It so sucks hard. with a capital and, suck. And so what do you end up doing? You end up plugging your own freaking identity in there just because just for now while you're fixing things, trying to make it work. Right. And then for now it becomes forever. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you're not working on what you actually should be working on. No. And it, when, and then along comes the InfoSec guy and he's grumpy with you for some reason. Mm. Can't imagine. And then when he does put his system identity in to try and fix it, everything blows up. Totally. And, and I think right? what you're... Now you're in this huge battle. What you're hitting on, it's a whole class of problems that we're trying to solve with Dapper too, where there's problems with microservices just to operate them, secure them instantiate mm -hmm. them, have calls be reliable. 
And all that stuff is taking away from you actually writing your app's logic. So that's what we tried to do is yeah. you know, handle that. Gunk, gunk. I, had, I had work to do. Yes. <laughs> and none of it involved this. Uh, let me jump back to PubSub. Uh, you did mention that you have abstracted uh, PubSub away so that whatever you use for your your mechanism, Redis or uh, you know, end service bus or Azure service bus or event hubs or whatever. It doesn't matter. A rabbit MQ. It doesn't matter. You can, you can use those as your transport, but, um, all of the stuff, it all gets abstracted away. It gets abstracted away on both sides, right? On the published side and on the subscribe side. That's right. That's right. So we, you know, think about this way. You'd be, you'd be writing against an API. Let's just say slash publish um, or if you're subscribing you would you would route a subscription of a message or an event into let's say a function yeah that's the one that handles it and the the binding actually happens just through config so there's a yaml file that we call components yaml um, we all love yaml right is that I think no, your friend. not me. I think no. me. Have you had enough indents in your life yet? Because we can give you more. But don't forget, it means DevOps. I think me and Scott <laughs> Hanselman are the only two people on earth that hate YAML and are willing to say it. Nobody loves YAML. You know, you know where I edit YAML files in Visual Studio Code, and Visual Studio Code does a good job of telling me how I'm screwing me up my too. YAML. Yeah, that's good. It helps that's me with those spaces. You got to get the spaces right. Yes. So get all right. It's like I feel like I'm writing C++ all over again. <laughs> or Perl. <laughs> Worse. No, no. You know. White space languages. It's just a continuing <laughs> education. That's all true. Right. So yeah. now that we're over the emotions of YAML. So there, there is a yeah, YAML yeah, yeah. file. And the nice thing about that is, you know. I mean, ops, don't get me wrong. Ops, I have to ops. use YAML yeah. and I write it. And I, you know, customer yeah. says, you will use YAML. I'm going to use YAML. So I didn't mean to, you know, say. It's all good. It. And you could uh, every time I'm struggling with a YAML files like this, could have been XML, and I'd really hate myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Paul. So, Carl, I interrupted you, you'll you. be happy to in Azure. You can use JSON. So, yeah, you, okay, you, just just for you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, but that's the idea. So your code, your code's completely portable. You just use the APIs, which are kind of standard, and then you drop config in to bind to your favorite thing, whether that's you know AWS's messaging, whether it's Kafka, whether it's Redis, whether it's Service Bus. Mm-hmm. You just you just choose that way, and so use the que- use the queuing system of your choice. Yes, and sounds like and change it if you must. Yes, well said. Without having to rewrite code. What's good about that is that you probably already have a queuing system or messaging yeah. system, and it's one of those. So now you can exactly just abstract it. Drop this it and that's one down. of the things we've been learning. You know, we can be opinionated about what features you need, but less so what infrastructure you have in your company. And so this right. way you can use all the things. Um, and this is interesting too. I'll, I'll freely admit this. When I came into the team, I was a little skeptical. Like, hey, does this mean least common denominator? But what I found yeah. 80, 90% of the time, we're hitting the sweet spot of what developers need. Yeah. Um, right. And they just need stability for the most common features. It's not usually the most advanced, obscure feature you need in a broker. You're not telling them they need they can't use that feature either, right? Exactly. Like if you want to poke into your messaging stack, do it in your code. Exactly. And you don't have to use all of Dapper, right? So you could drop out and use the SDK for your favorite broker mm-hmm. if you want to. But what we find too, like let us know 
when you hit something egregious, like, hey, there's metadata that I program against and it's not there. Um, and what we've you know, done in some of those cases, we've just flowed that metadata back through our APIs so you can get it and you can still write the code. Interesting. Hmm. And the point being, it is an open source project that is under constant development. And heck, if you want to add that feature yourself, they'll take your pull request, I'm sure. Yeah, that's even, I think you're, you're right. That's the better way to think about it. So we're, it's open source. It's part of CNCF now. Um, so it's been donated and, you know, it's operated by CNCF. The maintainers are like Alibaba, Intel, and Microsoft. And so um, mm-hmm. I just looked at the stats on Friday. We're at 41% external contributions this month. Wow. So a lot of Dapper is done totally with the community. With the community. Yeah, okay. Uh, and by that token, it's like if you've got an idea on a utilization in, within Dapper that isn't already implemented, think carefully about it because there's some very smart people who have been implementing on all this stuff mm. already. If it's not there, there might be a reason. Like the, I think I spent a long time reading issues mm-hmm. on this project before I'd be talking about a feature I need. This is a whole lot of smart thinking here right now. There is. And, you know, but also, like, ask the question, too. We have, you can ask in Discord or in um, GitHub. All the maintainers are hanging out. So, you know, it's a friendly place. Well, this is one of these interesting, I I presume this is true for Microsoft and probably the Alibaba and so forth. There's a few people whose job it is to maintain Dapper, and they hang out. Like they're, they're not hanging out just because they're slacking on work. It's their job. That's right. And they can help you. Yeah, I can speak for at least Microsoft. We, we have a number of full-time people who work on Dapper, the project, and even more people who work on Azure, the product, which integrates Dapper. And so, right. um, yeah, absolutely. We have a pretty big investment, and I think the other vendors that work on it do too. So Azure is an internal consumer of Dapper as well? That's right. I mean, I like that dog food aspect because mm-hmm. you guys... You know, that what that generally means is whatever problem I've got, Microsoft has a larger problem than that. Right. <laughs> and and I, so I'm I'm inside the spectrum then. I'm going to survive. On the shoulders of giants. Yeah, we're working with a number of huge teams inside of Microsoft. Like we're working with GitHub and, and folks who are using it. But then also parts of mm-hmm. Azure now host Dapper. So we've Very been cool. working with our Kubernetes service, AKS, you guys know. Mm-hmm. Um, and AKS now has a supported extension. It's just called the Dapper extension. So you can use the extensions framework on either AKS or Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can bring in Dapper that way. And the other way you can do is we have this new container apps service, which is for microservices, but it's serverless. And we you just type in dash dash enable Dapper. And that service will manage your Dapper sidecars, and you just deploy containers. So, so nice. either way, you have just a really nice way to run Dapper in Azure that way. And that sounds like the way to get into Dapper with an existing application, too. Absolutely. Like, unless you feel like you want to know what a CNI is just to deploy, then I, <laughs> I think... Um, container apps is absolutely the place to start. It's kind of like when I say, hey, if you're doing web apps start with app service and there'll be reasons why you grow out of it and that's fine and then there's kubernetes for that but i would start with there's also a path for you that's the bigger thing you're not sending me down something where 80 percent of the way in i'm doomed start over yes yeah yeah what uh that's what jay would call as a um yeah start over event so there's no start over event and by the way container apps runs on the kubernetes control plane 
So we're already testing it at scale that way. And then you can use straight Kubernetes too, if you want. Right. So you're, you're just wrapping it so we don't have to own the Kubernetes problem. And guys, hold that thought for just one minute while we take a moment for this very important message. Hey, Carl here. You know, keeping your development toolbox current is key to creating today's highly scalable applications. With Oracle Cloud, you get cloud-native microservices that leverage containers, Kubernetes, and serverless technologies. And right now, you can try a free, self-guided lab to learn how to build microservices on Oracle Cloud infrastructure at your own pace. Visit oracle.com slash dotnet rocks. That's oracle.com slash D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S. Carl here. You've heard me talk about ExpressVPN on .NET Rocks, and hopefully you listened to my other podcast, Security This Week. Here's why I use ExpressVPN. It lets me access the internet as if I'm in another country. That helps when I travel abroad, and I want to watch some of my favorite shows, like Star Trek Discovery. These streaming providers have shows that are only available in other countries. So when I'm home, I can access them as well. Another reason I use ExpressVPN over other VPNs is the speed. I can stream everything in HD with zero buffering. It helps that I can also use it on any device, even my smart TV. And ExpressVPN is so easy to use. I can just fire up the app, change my location, and toggle the VPN on and off. So use our link right now, expressvpn.com slash .net, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash D-O-T-N-E-T. Hey, Carl here. You know, keeping your development toolbox current is key to creating today's highly scalable applications. With Oracle Cloud, you get cloud-native microservices that leverage containers, Kubernetes, and serverless technologies. And right now, you can try a free, self-guided lab to learn how to build microservices on Oracle Cloud infrastructure at your own pace. Visit oracle.com slash dotnet rocks. That's oracle.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t-r-o-c-k-s. All right, we're back. We're talking to Paul Yuck, and that's my friend Richard Campbell. Howdy. And I'm Carl Franklin. This is .NET Rocks. I think you were just talking about Azure Container Services, right? Yes. Yeah, and that is some serious awesomeness right there. And one thing, I, uh, it's the ongoing thing that I love about Azure in this whole platform as a service thing is you just, like Richard said, just be there and go away. I don't want to talk to you ever again. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with that. Don't remind me to do anything. Just work. Yes. Do not taunt me a second time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you want that uh, sort of minimal approach to dealing with containers and you don't want to deal with all the, the, do you still have to deal with YAML with uh, container services? You have the choice of either YAML or JSON for config. Or JSON. That's what you were telling me before. Yeah. yeah. So you could use like even straight up ARM, you know, uh, the Azure Resource Manager markup. Yeah. And they have this cool bicep. I don't, have you guys checked that out? Yes. Like, we were just talking about that. Yeah. Doing a little bicep. Yes. Yeah. You could do a little bicep over your ARM and just deploy your containers that way with the config. Yeah. You can also bring in, you know, the OSS version of the YAML. 
Um, so a okay. couple options. Oh man, did I just get now? Well, it's bicep on arm. Yeah. Right. Even yeah. though we talked about it the whole time, I never got the pun. But the, the liberal arm? arts side of me says it should be biceps. It should be plural. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I digressed. Uh, I, I, two minutes for bad punning. All right. Should we talk about secret management? Sure. So yeah. what, I know how to do that in Azure, but I guess the point is uh, give yourself some more options here, right? Right. Yeah. So you get more. So you get the. It's an easy API, right? It, it feels like a dictionary where you you write to it, you read to it like a dictionary. Um, so like it's that. easy, and then you can configure it to you know Key Vault, or you right. could configure it to Kubernetes Secrets, or you could configure mm-hmm. it to Vault. So there's you know different options, and that, again, that just makes it portable. So depending on AWS. where you're going to run it, you might have a choice again. Yeah, AWS Secrets, Google. So. Um, and, and by the way, that's one thing that's important, which might be surprising, but, you know, we know that apps run in all the different clouds, sometimes multi-cloud. So like absolutely multi-cloud is one of the portability aspects, also environments, right? You go between mm-hmm. local and, you know, pre-prod and prod, and you make different choices based on economics. But you're also making it easy for me if we've already got keys over in a particular vault that I don't have to say, oh, I need them in Azure Key Vault as well. Yes. That's another thing I love about Azure is it truly understands, you guys truly understand that we live in a multi-cloud world. And if we didn't interoperate with those other cloud providers, we wouldn't use Azure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So secrets seems like a pretty uh, simple topic. What about IO bindings? Yeah, bindings... This one, I don't. For me personally, it took a little while to get my head around it. But you could think of it as eventing. So I'll okay. compare PubSub messaging and eventing for just a sec. PubSub okay. messaging, there's data in the message, and it's really important that you receive that message and you do something with it. Right? That's got data that's important, and right. we even have time to live and dead letter stuff DLQ. around it. Yep, cute. Yeah, just like a queue. The the bindings are really about events, and a lot of times I think about events as, hey, something happened on an external source, and I got to do something with it, or I don't have to do something with it. I have the option to. So, you know, an event source is firing, fire and forget kinds of events, and then other clients that you have no idea what they are, but they can decide to do something. So the example I show is when you know Twitter um, has new tweets coming, and you're searching for them. That would be a Mm -hmm. good example of an event. It's not critical that you handle a tweet that's happening, but it gives you a hook to go say, oh, like I want to persist some stuff. I want to massage some data. I want to send my own PubSub message downstream to a client. So it gives you that event hook, you know, and we we come from VB, which is like the best events ever. So it's kind of like it gives you that left hand drop down of like, here's the nouns. And then here's the verbs that, that I can hook to. And it makes that really easy. And there's both input and output bindings. So you can decide what happens when data comes in. And then you can also bind to event sources when things go out. Um, That one's really handy for extensibility. Like if you want to add a new thing, like a a service that you want that we don't have a component for, then you can make a new binding and you can take data in and send data out. So that's really handy for you know, processing and just kind of moving along through a workflow. 
when I first looked at this, I immediately thought it was something like, you know, React, reactive, mm-hmm. right? Reactive extensions or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not really. It's about handling events and actually doing something with them, not like searching across events to see, you know, what happened when. Right? I agree with you. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that. It's about handling specific events. Yep. And doing something with it. Neat. Um, okay. Th- there are there are cases where you can do that aggregate kind of searching. And, you know, one one best practice I see a lot, even with microservices, is if you use some kind of state management and you save off events, that can oftentimes be a faster way to search over events that happened in the past. Now you have to have storage for those events somehow. Now you have to have storage. And that's yeah. also why we created the state management. <laughs> ah, nice <Right>. segue. <laughs> well done. Look at that. <laughs> So tell us about state management. Yeah, so state management, think of it more like you need to have a reliable way to offload state, right? Because microservices, cloud services, we don't want to keep state in memory because that service could go away any moment or it could auto scale, right? We've all learned this. Um, So this gives you a way to offload to a cloud durable storage. And you got all kinds of choices. You know, by the way, we have like over 70 components, but... There's lots of choices, some that are SQL-like, some that are Redis-like or Mongo-like, right? Mm. Lots of different choices. But you're not using it as a relational store. You're really using it just to persist, you know, documents and key value pairs. It's more so it's like a very blob storage. simple. It's much more like blob storage. And blob yeah. is even one of the providers, blob, S3, et cetera. Yeah. Well, let's be honest here. State storage has always been essentially blob storage. Just because you were abusing SQL Server to do it didn't <laughs> stop it from being blob storage. Fair point. <laughs> One did not run aggregates on state stores. You said, here, hold this. Now give it back to me. Thanks for playing. And we wonder why everyone blames SQL for performance issues. Yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> um, just because you put it in the database didn't mean it was a good idea. That explains Kim Tripp and Paul Randall's career right there. <laughs> yes. But they, of course, they've got the conflict of they never want to say, stop it. Yes. <laughs> right. They just, say, right. Okay, well, we'll figure it out. Right. Let us figure that out for you. Yeah. Okay. Well, but yeah, I, the main thing is is it durable? Is it where you need it? Uh, you know, and I'm just looking at the list. Like, there's a ton of them. Mm. There's many ways to do this that's fast and lightweight. Exactly. And uh, you'll, if, you'll if you just need something durable, you could use, let's say, a blob storage. If you want something that's near real time consistency, you can use a Cosmos DB and mm-hmm. access it anywhere right. in the world. Um, if you want open source, you know, we've got lots of options that way. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. And it's, but it's still a lot. It looks like there's a lot of development options still going on, right? Like, still early stages of uh, implementations against like my memcached things like that. Are you looking at the alpha versus stable on the components page? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good point. So we, you know, Dapper's been out just under two years, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while we have these 70 plus components, a lot of them are marked alpha, which is, you know, somewhere before that general availability rock solid status. So our right. our top priority, like if you were to ask the maintainers um, and the Microsoft folk and the other folks, is to bring all the most used components to that stable point because we want we right. want a stable foundation that we're building on here, and reliability is you know one of the top things. 
So um, yeah, we're t- spending tons of time. Maintainers are spending tons of time um, creating component certifications, conformance tests, integration tests, and actually just certifying every single component, um, putting it mm-hmm. through the paces with customers, mm. all kinds of stuff. So we just two weeks ago, we added three new stable certifications, and we're just going to keep going. Mm-hmm. It's going to be one of our top priorities. And so if, if, um, if you see something marked alpha that really needs to be stable, please holler it at us. Mm-hmm. And that'll help us, you know, make sure we're prioritizing the right stuff. Yeah. And or contribute. Yes. And please do contribute. Sure this is also open source, right? Yep. So if you, like, I got to think, like, I know some amazing Cassandra people and mm. people love Cassandra. Like we talk about fast day storage. Holy man. Mm. But, um, yeah, so he's like, if you want to do this with Dapper, like, work with us. Like, why not? You'll get what you want, and you'll get some good results, too. Uh, let's talk actors. This is where yeah. I wanted to jump right right away when I first saw the list of services. <laughs> a remarkable restraint, Mr. Franklin. I had a good I breakfast, so I was ready for this. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So I guess we should just sort of revisit what act, the actor pattern is, just in case anybody's forgotten. Uh, go for it, Carl. The actor pattern is where you typically have one, let's call it an object. It's an actor that represents one user of a system or one aspect of a system. And the only way that these actors can communicate with each other is by sending messages. And I, I like the idea um, or the, the analog. If anybody has ever done any Windows API programming, way back in the day, and I know you have, Paul, because you and I are that old, um, where you Windows has all sorts of messages that get sent to Windows that are defined with an HWIND, a handle to a window. And you have a loop inside that main window that looks for messages and re- responds to them. And uh, messages could be anything from a key down, uh, mouse up, uh uh, resize, like all of the things. If you're a VB programmer, you remember we had events for all of those things, and we still do have events for all of those things. But, but those are essentially abstractions of the Windows API messages. So, think of it like you have these autonomous beings out there, and they may have access to data storage or other things. But typically, the only way they can interact with each other is through messages. So one cannot reach into the memory space of another one and do, you know change anything. Uh, every, every one of those actors is responsible for its own state. And I think it really got popular uh, with, uh, what was it, Red, Red versus Blue. What was that game again you guys used to play, Halo? Halo, yeah. yeah. They're a big Orleans user, which is a great yeah, virtual yeah, actor framework. That was Orleans. Yeah, Orleans is an actor framework that was used to build Halo. And uh, I'm not sure if it was built for Halo. I Do think you know it, it it was built jointly with the Halo team, from what I remember. Okay. Um, it's always great, you know, to have partners, customers building something with you. So that right. they were one of the first. But a video game, uh, a multi multi-thousand player, you know, video game online is the perfect um, a perfect place to use the actor pattern because each one of those players is an individual actor. I, I love the way you describe it. Like, it, it all resonated for me. They're like objects. They are objects. Yeah. And what, what matters about an object is they're autonomous. They have their own state. 
Mm. And they could have interactions, which are pretty interesting too, right? You could have some that are bossy. You can have some that are peers. Mm. Um, and um, so I think, I think gaming is an awesome use case for it. Also, IoT devices. I've seen yeah. a lot of great use cases for that. So kind of think about, you know, all this, you know, I have, I just looked, I have over 70 devices in my home. i nerd. Um, and they all have digital, <laughs> all have digital twins, just meaning there's like a cloud software representation of the same device. Yeah. And those are autonomous things, right? Like if I think about my, my thermostat or my fire alarm, it needs to do its own job. I need to detect smoke, but also they might want to notify one another. Hey, there's smoke in room two. Right. 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 And, and then you might have a more bossy kind of a controller thing, which is tell me the status of everything and do a calculation. Like, what's the average temperature mm-hmm. in your house? And you want to have a quick mm-hmm. way to do that, too, which maybe to take your analogy, that's like a control array, right? I want a control array over all my objects that does some calculation across all of them. Um, and we see that in, in the real world with things like, um, uh, there's, there's a good case study, I'd have to find it, but it has to do with traffic cameras and cars, and you can mm. treat them all like objects. And there's literally thousands of them, right? right. That, sure. That's another principle of actors. Usually you have many, 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 many of them. And so, you know, there's the granularity of a VM, there's the granularity of a container, which is usually smaller, and then there's actors, which are teeny tiny. So in Dapper, um, would you consider a microservice to be an actor? What is a what is an actor in the Dapper world? Yeah, so I think it would be you know they're all microservices, but yes, I would treat them as microservices. Just when your granularity is more at that object, small, okay. autonomous, it has its own state thing. And I think the IoT device or a player in a game is a perfect analogy, right? Like instead of having just a few microservices, one called game, one called players. You could imagine that you have thousands of players all yeah. acting like microservices, all virtual actors. Right. Okay. And why the phrase virtual actor versus just actor? Um, I don't know the origins of that. I should. I can guess. Like if you have IoT devices all over the place, those actors aren't all on the same system there across the network, right? Mm-hmm. So you might want to virtualize those by having representations of them on the network. And so that would be those would be sort of like references to the to the devices themselves. Is that which is that, almost uh, like the twin the twin the twin model, right? Yeah, I think it's very parallel to the twin model, the idea that I want an abstraction that gives me a uniform interface to disparate gear. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just guessing. Yeah. Well, the virtual actor, actor term comes from Orleans. Okay. Just, I just looked it up. Um, so it's, it's already there. I just, you know, I, I wrestle with this. We normally talk about actor model. Like we've talked about ACA mm-hmm. on the show before, and it's just the actor model. The virtual actor sort of stood out to me. But I appreciate your thought there, uh, Carl, that even if it's a guess, it's like it's an abstraction that gives uniformity, which is what Dapper's all yeah. about is creating an abstraction that creates uniformity for all of these microservice problems that we have, whether it be security or messaging or representing objects. You've got me so curious. I'd love to go back and talk to Phil or Ruben or Brady or you know any of our friends mm-hmm. who work on this. I bet you there's a origin story. Let's start a karaoke night. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. I'm totally kidding. What? No, the- I'm totally kidding. I just remember Brady yeah. at karaoke. 
That's that's what came to mind. I, I think of that too. Karaoke. <laughs> in Orlando, right? And hopefully, he doesn't right. lose oh, a flip flop. Right. Anyway, we'll we'll figure out the answer to that, but I think that's pretty close. But then let's talk about actors in Dapper. Yes. What do I want this for? Yeah. So I I would use it for it's really good for stateful objects. So where it's important that each object is holding on to its own state, and oftentimes. So think about, um, let's go back to the device analogy, whether or not the the container host shuts down or comes back over and over and over again really quickly, we want that object to rehydrate itself with its state yeah. and, know, and le- you know, pick up right where it left off. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, dapper actors will do. It'll, it'll be a reliable state management for it. And then the next interesting thing is when you have a lot of actors is doing calculations across the actors right so how many how many devices are healthy mm. what's the run rate um, temperature of all the thermostat devices like you can it. do all those kinds of things super easily so I, sh- I should have just read because you just basically said what a virtual actor is uh, I should have just read the actor lifetime section which says and I'll, I'll read this okay dapper actors are virtual meaning that their lifetime is not tied to their in-memory representation oh As a result, they do not need to be explicitly created or destroyed. The dapper actor runtime automatically activates an actor the first time it receives a request for that actor ID. If an actor is not used for a period of time, the dapper actor runtime garbage collects the in-memory object. It will also maintain knowledge of the actor's existence should it need to be reactivated later. So that's a little bit different. Yeah, you're right. It, and we've known patterns like that this throughout the ages, like singletons. Yeah. Maybe re- remoting. Mm-hmm. Remember remoting? Oh, God. I'm trying to forget. Yeah. And and I think this is just a more reliable, <laughs> like we've come a long way. This is a lot more reliable way to. Hey, listen, we were coming from DCOM. Remoting was a blessing. Yes. True. Right? Yes. Like it all depends on where you start. Is that how you see That's it? That's right. We got better from there. I remember teaching a class in VB.net. And it was an on-site class. I even remember where it was, and I remember the look on their faces. <laughs> and so they said, so should we use uh, web services or remoting? I'm like, I, keep, I. <laughs> <laughs> I said, remoting looks promising in terms of performance, but you're going to have more, you know. At the sacrifice the binary. of everything else. Yes. Yeah, yeah it was a binary, binary yep. formatter. Yep. Yeah, I think that remoting was super good for connected um, singleton-like objects on the server. Inside the firewall. It sort of reminds me of uh, gRPC versus versus REST right now. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I digress. Oh, that that reminds me. If we go back to service invoke for just a sec. Yeah. So you you can Mm -hmm. use service invoke today over HTTP or gRPC. Mm. Even when you Mm -hmm. use HTTP, Dapper will find efficiencies. And sometimes between the sidecar... It'll still re-encapsulate things as gRPC to get that binary efficiency over the wire. Hmm. It'll negotiate a more efficient protocol. It will. What you say? Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, that's good. Cool. Yeah, so th- we actually have cases where Dapper makes your protocols and makes your brokers better. Right, because it's using the features you didn't think to use. Yes, we, if we feel secure in using gRPC, we will. Or when you're doing PubSub, we'll wrap things in cloud events, which make it more portable. Um, right. We can add time to live semantics on top of a message, which didn't even mm-hmm. exist in the broker. Mm. So, so there's some cool thing by having that sidecar in in the middle. You can do some pretty sweet stuff. 
That's great. Wow, man. It's all well and fine till something breaks. It is. How do you debug this stuff? (laughs) Yeah, great question. So there's uh, tracing levels and, you know, it's very cloudy with uh, Mm -hmm. the tracing. So there's good debug trace output. It's dialable. Every time there's Um, an error, use Twilio to send yourself a text. Yeah, you could add that as a middleware. What could go wrong? (laughs) What could go wrong? (laughs) Richard doesn't know anything about that. No, I don't know anything. Back, back in the very beginning of text messages, you know, the old candy bar phones, I managed to get my hands on an API then, and a little bug sent me 32,767 text messages, which you had to individually select and delete by hand. Oh, wow. And why was it 32,767? Uh, because that was the, like, up, no, no. That was the, ups, the yeah. maximum value of a, of short. That was the would have sent more. If it had been, a, if it had been an unsigned integer, I would have had 64,535. <laughs> So then I call, I realize I'm never going to delete all these messages, right? So I call into tech support to, to the telco. It was actually the telco that was provided the API. The first tier guy has no idea what he's talking about, but it gets me through to the second tier guy. The second tier guy is, I don't know how to fix this. Get me the third tier guy. Third tier guy, I get him on the phone. He says, hi, I just sent 32,767 messages to myself. And he goes, oh, it's you. <laughs> I've been waiting for you. Because <laughs> he'd, been, he'd been staring at that going, damn. <laughs> I love that. He's like, I'm going to delete them now. Don't do that again. <laughs> We've been expecting you, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know you've hit the right guy. And he's, he's already laughing at you. Yep. So who started Dapper? Was it you? Yeah, so there no, I I did not. Um my my job in this is to help um grow the community from from where it started and um, look at every integration we can do and, mm-hmm. and make it successful. So I'm I'm now the person, but um, you know, folks like own and Mark Fussell were co-founders originally, and they started it off. Um, it it came like they work on the Azure incubations team, which you know reports mm-hmm. to like Mark Rasinovich and in, in the Azure team. So they they started this, and I I believe at the time they really wanted to have a better platform API for building a FAS, um, which helped us with our own internal challenges that we have. And then oh. I think, you know, they realized that they were onto something with the patterns they came up with and mm-hmm. it evolved more into this entire microservice API. Wow. And I've seen lots of messages from Rosinovich over the years, past year or two about about Dapper, but very much coming at it from the IT perspective. Yes. Right? The, the, for, for me on the run as world, we look at this and go, okay, well, this this would give me confidence for these architectures that they're going to, they, you tend to f- go the right path on security messaging, like those kinds of things. But it's great to dive under the dev side of this and go, okay, I care about how this gets deployed into my app, how I'm going to interact with it. Like th- that makes me happy. It's a lot of smart decisions here. It's not just, I mean, goodness knows how many different service wrapper systems we've had over the millennia yes. here. Um, so I really like the approach you're taking here. And you are hitting all the buttons on where we have problems. Yeah, and I think the the portability is one of the ones I'm most excited about because a lot of times you mm-hmm. can get the resiliency, but you can't get it in a way that works on all your languages and all the infrastructures with all the services you use. So that one I'm really excited about. It's really great. Paul, are we going to see you? I mean, it's kind of funny to say this now because it's coming out afterwards, but are we, are we going to see you in yeah. Vegas? Yes, you will. We saw you in Vegas. Yes, yeah, so you won't even need the air quotes. Like you, you <laughs> did, and you will see me. Whatever you know, tense we are by this point. Okay. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to miss that. Awesome. No, no kidding. Well, thank you very much. This has been very enlightening, and I'm really excited about Dapper. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. Come join us at GitHub. Absolutely. There you go. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.